Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. Welcome to another episode of The Canadian Investor. I'm Braden Dennis, joined by Simon Belanger, and today we are going to talk about how to get started in the market. A lot of people come up to me and ask, where do I start? I understand that mutual funds or active management is costing me a ton of money um, and is really hurting my retirement goals because of these insanely high 2.5% mutual funds, and then they tack on other fees where they can. Um, so we're going to tackle that that topic today. Um, everything from choosing a brokerage and funding it with the first couple bucks to going out and deploying an ETF indexing strategy, which I think is the smartest way for someone to at least get started. Um, there's lots of people will tell you that you can just index the rest of your life. I agree with them in a lot of ways. So let's kick right into it. How are we doing, Simon? I'm going uh, great, Brendan. Uh, how are you? I'm good, man. Let's uh, let's get into this. So, how did you? I'm actually curious because I don't know mm-hmm. this. Yeah. Did you start? Um, like when you started investing, did you go ahead and just pick a company that you liked and then bought their stock, or did you go with like an ETF approach? So, um, yeah. So it's actually uh, quite different. Uh, so I started when I was. About 1920, so really at the forefront of, I think it was uh, one of the first brokerage houses back then that was done online. And I did a mistake that probably a lot of listeners will uh, resonate with. Um, So a friend of mine, his mom, told me about this uh, diamond company up north in Canada. So they had found diamonds in this mine, so that was validated and everything, but um, they had not started production yet. Um, so I heard about that. I was excited, put a thousand dollars, which at the time was a lot of money for me. Um, and then I just hoped that the company would, uh, quadruple and just, uh, yeah, like just go through, uh, through the roof. It was a penny stock at the time. So they ended up having some issues with, uh, getting those diamonds out. They couldn't get financing, ended up filing for bankruptcy and I lost all my money. So I did, uh, Definitely uh, learned a hard lesson then. I actually am happy I did it because I uh, I know not what to do now. But uh, if I had known back then that uh, ETFs and index funds and what I know now, I probably would not have done that. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the classic throw everything on a mining company. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny how many people have started their first stock with some high flying uh, mining company, like some junior exploration company that. You could, I mean, <laughs> I guess because the story is there that you could potentially triple your money in like a day because it ha- happens all the time with these like exploration mining companies, but obviously not a prudent investing strategy. And I find so f- what's so funny is Peter Lynch has a really, really funny analogy in, in one of his books that I've read. Um, can't remember which one off the top of my head right now, but he has a really funny analogy where he talks about how people when they start Uh, When they're going to go buy some new appliance, like some new fridge for their home, they do all this research. They find what the best deal is on on this fridge. They find out which, you know, uh, what's the most energy efficient. They they find out all these specs um, to save, you know, the equivalent of 50 bucks. But then when they're investing, they just like 
it's like they're in the casino and put it all on black. No, oh yeah, I <laughs> can't <totally> understand <laughs> it. No, I totally agree with you. And in my case, it was more like uh, you know a friend of a friend, or like obviously my friend's mom. I didn't do much research. I just got excited. I saw the share price, and I think this is a big mistake that a lot of people first do is they'll see the share price and they'll just look at the actual price of one share so they'll look they'll see one dollar and they'll be like oh my god it just needs to go to two dollars and i'll double my money which you know it's a lot it's more complicated than that not overly complicated but uh there's other things you be should should be looking at uh, outside of just uh, the charts and the share price and so on but yeah one of those mistakes did not do any research got excited uh I was guessed a little bit of FOMO and then, uh, yeah, lost all my money after that. Um, if some of you are interested, you can just Google Tahira Diamonds and see what comes up. <laughs> Watch its journey to zero. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, if you can find stuff, that was early 2000. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's so common, though, with uh, some of the really small cap mining companies. So what people can do is, um, unfortunately... Uh, a lot of people, especially here in Canada, their money is with big banks. Like that's where they have all their savings accounts. So they, they finally have some money to invest and they go to the bank and they go to the teller, their advisor, and they say, hey, I want to start investing my money. And they will funnel you into, because they're actually incentivized to, funnel you into expensive active management uh, with the bank's mutual funds or other funds that they're incentivized to sell that have extremely high management expense ratios, which in layman's terms just means fees. So they have really high fees um, and it's just not your best interest. So what you can do is open up a discount brokerage service. So all the big banks have their own discount brokerage service. Um, you're looking at $10 a trade. Um, CIBC, I think is $6.95 a trade. Or you can go to Quest Trade, and I'm even seeing some $0 trade now come out from Wealthsimple. Um, so this is where you want to be because even if it is $10 a trade and you're more comfortable with just doing it on the same platform of your bank, say you bank with TD or Real Bank, that's fine. Even the $10 a trade, um, as long as you're not you know, day trading, your fees are going to be significantly lower than these uh, – management fees on the mutual funds. So what you can do is you can go online, you can register for an online discount brokerage service. Um, I per personally use Quest Trade. Um, $4.95 a trade I think is a great deal. I know a lot of people are using Quest Trade. Um, and this is really where you should start. Um, and we can go into exactly next what you should buy or what what I think is a good place to start at. Um, which is index exchange traded funds or index ETFs. Um, um, that's a really go, good place to start. Yeah, before we go into more detail, um, Brayden, can you give us some example of different indexes? Because I know we're talking about it, and for us, it's like it's very obvious what it is. But if people are getting started, they might not fully understand what an index is. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the easiest way to explain it is the example of what is called the S&P 500. So the S&P 500 is an index that was built to describe the performance of the 500 largest uh, publicly traded companies in the U.S. So the S&P 500 just means an index of the performance of all 500 companies that are tracked in it 
in the U.S. So you're going to find the, the, the Microsofts of the world, the Johnson & Johnson, the Coca-Cola, the Google, the Amazons. They're all going to be in there, and the 500 largest companies make up the S&P 500. So what you can then go do is buy an index exchange-traded fund, which tracks all 500 companies. So the beauty of the index funds, so one of the main advantages is uh, they'll usually have very low fees. So the reason for that is they just mimic the index. So there's very little active management required. Uh, mainly the most of the trading is just related when there's adjustments with the index, whether there's new companies that are added, some subtracted. So the fund management has very little to do aside from just um, uh, mirroring what's going on with the index. So usually that's why their fees are so low. And that's a big advantage for uh, people investing in them because the lower the fees, the more of the money that you actually get to keep. Yeah, exactly. So there's a couple studies that have found in Canada, since we pay such high fees on active management, that just going to a ETF uh, low-cost, broad-based index fund strategy instead, which we're talking about, can save investors over $300,000 um, in an investment fees uh, by the time they reach their number in retirement. So 300 k on average is not insignificant. That's a lot of money. Yeah, exactly. So it's... Um... The, for the listener, is a good way to see what differences may it makes. It actually go go online and Google compound interest calculator, play with the amount of years, and then play with the percentages in terms of return. So you can plug in, for example, uh, just a random number, 5% uh, annual return, and then compare that with 4% or even compare that with 4.5% over 20, 25 years, whichever the investing period that you're looking for. And it's kind of staggering the actual difference it makes in the long run. Yeah, it, it is impressive. Like, especially when you get into, you know, if you start investing at 20 and you throw out like a 40 year, year time horizon. <laughs> yeah. So when you're 60 and you're, you're like, like net tiring, that like the amount of money is so significant. Um, when it's hundreds of thousands of dollars for like a one and a half million dollar portfolio, a percentage wise, like that is just despicable. <laughs> I don't know how they've gotten away with it for so long, but they have. Yeah, and for those that are looking to invest a little bit on their own, but uh, I know a lot of people that do some investing on their own, but they also someone who manages their uh, their money. So whether it's a financial advisor, financial planner, um, you know, it depends. Everyone's different. Uh, the one tip I would give to people is uh, if you're gonna have a financial advisor, financial planner, uh, make sure just they're straightforward for their fees. Um, you understand what you're getting for for those fees. Um, and that you're comfortable with the answers. So if if you're not comfortable with the answers they're giving you or you think the fees are too high for what you're getting, then by all means either, you know, switch and do everything on your own or go see uh, someone else that would better fit uh, your needs. Yeah, that, exactly. And I'm not I'm not here to say active management is the devil or anything. It's more so what is the value that it's providing for the fee that is being charged? And I'm seeing a lot of people in the active management space now reduce their fees quite a lot to what I think is now to be able to be hands off with it is providing a lot of value. I'm just challenging the two and a half percent, two point seven five percent that I have seen. Uh, and this isn't even ten years ago. Like this is like recent funds, and it's just like it's just 
they're not providing enough value for what they're charging. So that's really what I'm challenging in this industry right now is, is those fees for the value, uh, like what makes sense, right? Yeah, exactly. And in terms of ETFs, I know we talked about index funds. So there's uh, the S&P 500, the very famous one, but you can get index funds that are really uh, following indexes around the world. So you don't have to limit yourself to, uh, you know, the S&P 500 or the S&P TSX here in Canada. Um, So you can get funds that will mimic those indexes, whether it's in Latin America, China, uh, Europe, uh, doesn't matter, you'll be able to find some. Um, There's also some ETFs that are actually actively managed, but oftentimes those ETFs will have uh, lower fees than a traditional mutual fund. So, uh, Brayden, for you, what's the limit in terms of if you're looking at an active ETF, like what's the, the expense ratio that would be kind of the threshold for you? For an actively managed fund, um, I'm thinking it's got to be less than 0.6%. Uh, for an active ETF, um, that's typically I see a lot in the 0.4 ranges. If it's following some sort of strategy, um, it, it's got to make sense, right? If you, if you believe that strategy can truly outperform the market by X percentage, then there's got to be that delta. Um, you know, there ha- the the management on the on the active management can't be. Uh, sorry, the fee on the active management can't be so high that it doesn't make sense anymore because they're facing almost free with the broad-based index ETF. Like to get an S&P 500 with Vanguard, you're looking at 0.05%. So that delta can't be so big that it doesn't make sense anymore. So I I don't know, I'd peg like 0.6%. I don't know what you've been seeing recently, but yeah, I think I would say around there too. Uh, definitely, I would never touch anything that's above a one uh, percent. For the 0.6, I mean, it depends what people are looking for, right? If someone's looking for exposure in a very specific uh, like sector, I know I've seen ETFs that are solely focused on, uh, you know, um, internet security for example so those are very niche etfs um so the management fee may be a bit higher for those um but definitely i think uh i'm on the same page as you anything above uh, 0.6 percent um at least thread with caution if you're interested in investing in that etf yeah you bring up a good point like the really really niche sector specific etfs it could make sense, even if it is sitting at like 1% MER, it could make sense because if you really are really bullish, like you're really excited about some niche sector like internet security, for instance, mm-hmm. um, but you, and you want to play, you know, five or six names that are in that space to just kind of average out your risk uh, instead of just picking one. Instead of incurring all the transaction costs of buying all six of them, it might make sense to just pay that management fee of 1%. But it really depends on how much money you're investing. If the the $10 times six is more expensive than, you know, the 1% on your capital. So that would be a case by case, I would say. Yeah, exactly. And the time you're willing to put in. And definitely if uh, for those that are interested in like looking at niche ETFs, uh, definitely don't uh, put all your savings in there that like just dedicate a small portion for it. Uh, That would be my best advice. Um, Yeah. So, Simon, if I had to ask you um, 
for some broad-based index. So I, I say I'm 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 just starting. I just opened my brokerage account, and I need to get a index ETF portfolio off the ground that holds Canadian securities, U.S. securities, some international securities, potentially um, some stocks traded out in emerging markets like China, Brazil. Uh, do you have some ticker names that we can get started with? Yeah, so I'll give you guys a few that I kind of like. One of them is uh, pretty uh, pretty well known. You'll know that one, and maybe I'll let you uh, look at the Canadian ones a bit more uh, closely. So the first one would be VSP.to. So I'm sure uh, you're familiar with that one. So the Vanguard S&P 500 index, and that one is Canadian edged. Um, so it's listed on the TSX, and it mimics the um, it follows the S&P 500. Um, so that's a good starting point. Uh, whenever investing, I would also recommend doing a dollar cost average. So if you're um, either you know investing Investing on a regular basis, a set amount. Um, that way, if there's market fluctuations, you actually average out, and your cost is the average of all that. If you're actually investing a lump sum, I would recommend probably dividing it into three, four, or five chunks, and then in a set interval every month or other month, you kind of invest a quarter or a fifth of that amount. So that would be a good started point, especially if you're looking for exposure in the US. Um, a couple of emerging markets that I do like. Um, I, yeah, go ahead, Braden. I was going to say, Simon, is the is VFV the non-Vanguard hedge, the non-Canadian dollar hedge one for the S&P 500? VFV, I believe that's what the ticker is. Uh, let me have a look. Uh, yeah, I believe so. I think that one is v not yeah. Edge. yeah, yeah, that's okay. So that, that's what you're looking at. So VFV or VSP, you said, right? Yeah, exactly. And okay. in terms of management fees, they're very similar. I actually thought the Canadian Edge would be a little higher, but I think they're the exact same. There is they're the same. That's rate. great. Yeah. yeah. So those are great starting points. Um, in terms, I do, I am focusing personally a bit more on emerging markets right now. Um, so some ideas uh, I'm looking right now at uh, India. So India, I'll give people uh, two interesting ones to look into. Uh, the first one, if you're looking to invest uh, on the TSX, uh, it would be uh, ZID.TO, so the BMO India Equity Index ETF. Um, so that one is, uh, BMO actually has a bunch of uh, funds that are targeted towards uh, emerging markets. The expense ratio is a little higher for that one, so it's 0 0.69, uh, but again, it's, um, it's not unusual for emerging markets to be a little higher in terms of expense ratio. If people are looking for an alternative that's uh, lower in terms of management fees or expense ratios, um, one that I do like is the Franklin FTSE, so FTSE India ETF. The ticker is F. L-I-N. Uh, this one, the expense ratio is 0.19%, so very reasonable. It is listed in the U.S., so you would have to convert to U.S. currency for that, but um, it is smaller volume as well, so you may want to uh, put a limit order when you do purchase it, uh, but that's uh, one that I've been looking at and uh, actually dollar cost averaging in the past months. I can give uh, you guys another one for emerging markets while I'm at it. Uh, so the last one that uh, in terms that I've been uh, dollar cost averaging recently myself is another Franklin one. So again, listed on the uh, 
the U.S. Stock Exchange. Um, so that one is the Franklin FTSE Latin America ETF, so FLLA. Um, so that one focuses on Latin America, and again, the expense ratio is 0.19%. So those two, uh, well, those three, so whether you're looking for a bit more India exposure or Latin America, uh, those are uh, good starting points. And of course, there's the Vanguard if you're looking for something uh, that's, uh, that's following the S&P 500 in the U.S., yeah, th that's a good start for uh, those geographical regions, and especially like in the U.S., VFV or VSP are a great way to get exposure to the S&P 500, the indexes we talked about before. I'm going to give a super simple um, three ETF tickers that will give you exposure to pretty much the whole world. And for the lowest possible cost available right now um, between Vanguard and BlackRock. So the three are, so for the Canadian total stock market, this is VCN, so it tracks the entire Canadian uh, stock market. Uh, I think it's a market cap of over like 100 million gets included. Um, and this this will hold, you know, a couple hundred Canadian stocks and the ticker is VCN. So I've actually laid out exactly how to open an account and the three broad-based index funds to open um, on my website stratosphereinvesting.com i have a free video course you can go see so the three ones that i recommend for very simple stock exposure are the canadian one vcn and then the equivalent in the u.s this is the u.s total stock market so this is ticker xuu um, for less than 10 basis points so 0.06 percent and this one's great because similar to a VFV, which is all 500 in the S&P, this is actually a couple thousand of U.S. stocks. So it's tracking um, mid mid cap companies as well and some small cap companies. So smaller companies in the U.S. are also tracked in this. It has shown that if you also track small cap and mid cap in the index that you'll have better long term performance. So um I think the ability to grab a couple thousand stocks with one ETF's ticker is incredible, um, and you're going to get all of the U.S. market there. And then again, for international to total stock market, ticker XEF from BlackRock as well. Um, this one gives you exposure to Europe, Japan, um, Australia. Those would be the main ones. Uh, so this is giving you exposure to broad-based index ETF portfolio across all of the world pretty much. So with the Canadian stock market, the U.S. stock market, and the European and Japanese Australian markets, with three clicks of a button, you are going to have stock returns on average of the whole world. If you do want some Chinese and Brazilian and emerging market Asian Indian as well, um, I do recommend Vanguard's emerging markets uh, ETF called VEE. So that would be another option if you want. Um, I'm going to even throw in a fifth one. I know I said I was going to keep it super simple, but if you want exposure to Canadian real estate, so real estate investment trusts that are publicly traded, um, VRE is a good way to diversify your portfolio even more. Yeah, those are great ideas, uh, Braden. And definitely there's a bunch of ETFs right there, and these are just kind of uh, some 
some of the ones we're looking at. Uh, one of the things I would like to mention as well, like we talked about expense ratios earlier, but um, something to keep in mind is if you're investing in several ETFs, especially uh, uh, some ETFs that may overlap, um, make sure you double check the holdings for certain funds, especially if you're looking at, uh, you know, investing in two, three different emerging markets ETF. The uh, issue with that, especially if they're just emerging markets, uh, you'll have, you'll actually have a lot of China exposure and you'll most likely see there's a going to be in terms of holdings, especially the major holdings, they'll, they will tend to overlap. So it'll give you some a bit more concentrated exposure in uh, uh, certain areas. So that's just something to keep an eye on if you're looking to, uh, you know, invest in more uh, ETFs. Just make sure you're cognizant of what the, the holdings of the ETFs are. You bring up a good point because these ETFs generally are market cap weighted opposed to equally weighted. So market cap weighted means, we'll give another example in the S&P 500, the biggest company in America, it's publicly traded, currently as of, as of recording this is Microsoft. So Microsoft is going to make up the largest percentage of the ETF, uh, followed by the second biggest company in the world, Amazon. So those two companies will make up a big portion. And to give a real life example here in Canada, TD and Royal Bank, those two banks combined make up 17 or right now, let me see, 16% of the Canadian market. So the VCN, the one that I just listed. So over 15% of the that one holding is actually only in two companies. So it might hold a couple hundred companies, but don't be confused. You are owning mostly the big banks. <laughs> That's yeah. how it works here in Canada. No, exactly. And uh, one thing, uh, I guess we're probably probably could keep on talking about the ETFs for about five hours. But uh, there is all different kinds of ETFs. Um, one other, and I think uh, Braden, you've uh, probably talked about it on your previous podcast, um, Stratosphere Investing, is. Uh, ETFs that are actually, for example, the S&P 500, they're equal weight instead of uh, being market cap weighted. Um, so those, that's an alternative too for people that don't want too much concentration. If I'm thinking about the S&P 500, uh, for people who don't want to be too concentrated in uh, Amazon, Apple, and companies like that. Yeah, exactly. That's that's a good point. So really quickly, we're going to rapid fire through two company requests that we've been given. Um, the two right now are Dollarama, which is traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange, and then uh, Uber, of course, which is IPO'd this year um, in the U.S. and <laughs> has had a pretty yeah. horrible IPO, but people want us to, to talk about these ones. So I'm going to give you a quick uh Quick shot on Uber here. Go okay. Ahead. So, okay, perfect. Awesome. So that's uh, Uber. Wow. Where, where do I start? So Uber. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Uber, one of the big issues with Uber is um, there was a lot of hype surrounding the IPO, which was, I think, April of this year, if I remember correctly. It was in the spring. So um, a lot of people were excited about that IPO. Um, the big problem with Uber is it's considered a growth company, but they also lose a lot of money. And when I say a lot of money, I mean a lot of money. So their most recent quarter I just read today, uh, which came out. Um, earlier, I think either today or yesterday, um, they actually lost a billion dollars in the quarter. So um, they're still growing the top line. So the top line would be the revenue or the sales by about 30%, but um, they're not 
profitable and they are not going to be profitable uh, in the near term. So what's kind of happening right now is uh, people have lost a little bit of their appetite for um, growth companies that are losing money. Um, So Uber, I think IPO'd around $45 a share. And I think last I checked, there were around $28. Um, And then when I say IPO, it's initial public offering. Um, So they've almost gone down about 40% in value. Um, So they, yeah, when you look at a company like that uh, for growth, a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on sales and sales growth because you can't value them any other way. You cannot uh, value them on uh, price to earnings ratio because there's no earnings. They're actually losing money. So for these type of companies, especially a company that just IPO'd, um, definitely buyer beware and you really have nothing to fall back on. So if there's, you know, these growth stocks tend to go well when they're crushing, like uh, in terms of estimates uh, that they put forward. So if they're crushing the sales instead of increasing 30%, they're increasing 50%. It's all fun. It's all, everything's going well. But if they miss their guidance a little bit, they'll usually get completely hammered. And this is what is happening um, for Uber. Um, and to be honest, anyone who looked and dig into the financial would have seen that as a big, big risk because you can't keep losing a billion dollars a quarter and expect that your stock is going to go up in the long run. Uh, Braden, do you have a few things to say about Uber? I think uh, all the points you have just said uh, are completely true, and I agree 100% with them. They IPO'd at 41.57 USD. Today they trade for 28.02. To give you what you're dealing with here, the stock dropped 9.85% today. <laughs> so this is the this is the kind of company that you're dealing with. Um, I have nothing more to add. Uh, they lose a ton of money. Uh, this is since I'm a rules-based investor for my subscribers on stratosphereinvesting.com. Um, this would never meet my screens, uh, and I would never make this mistake. Uh, yeah. I think we can leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, and actually, I'll just add something. As you were talking, I just saw this online. Their uh, their lockup period is actually tomorrow, so <laughs> that should be interesting. So for those of you who don't know what a lockup period, so when a company goes IPO, so initial public offering, um, they'll usually have a time frame where insiders, so people who own the company before it went public, they cannot sell their shares until I think usually it's around six months. So so they have this time frame and then after the lockup period expires all these new shares become available and people if they're afraid that the investment will keep going down like it kind of appears with uber right now um, you may actually see an even bigger sell-off when the lockup period ends so that remains to be seen so uh this is we're on november 5th today so it'll be interesting what happens uh, for the rest of the week for uber Yeah, it's going to be a bumpy ride. All right, let's move on to Dollarama, the Canadian company here. Um, I'm sure I don't think they need an introduction. I believe anyone listening would know what Dollarama is. Uh, They're the largest retail chain, dollar store retail chain. They're headquartered in Montreal. Um, They have been Canada's second largest retailer of items of $4 and less. What, What is number one? Um, anyways, that is very strange. So the stock has done very well. Uh, it's up 168% in five years. It had a pullback uh, at the beginning of 2019, but has rallied really nice. Um, I'll just look onto some metrics here. So it trades at a P 
PE right now of 26, so fairly expensive. Uh, PEG ratio, so price earnings are then divided by growth of two. Um, price of sales of 3.84, so this is the valuation we're dealing with. So the market is pricing it fairly expensive. Um, they do pay a very small dividend uh, with a very low payout ratio, so we can expect that to grow. They're going to grow that dividend. Uh, this is, it, It's looking like the makings of a dividend growth company um, right now. I like the company. Um, uh, I think they're going to be able to increase prices. This is what everyone was worried about. Well, how do we you know, sell things that are $7 at Dollarama. Um, but they were saying that about when it was $1. So they're able to increase these prices faster than inflation and they are doing better than ever. So all of that negativity around how are they going to do this business model with inflation, um, that does not seem to be a worry at all. The margins are great even on these low price uh, products. And uh, yeah, the growth story is there. I, I like the stock. I don't own it, but I, I do like the company. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i looking at it at the same time as you, so I would probably say the same thing. It's It looks a little bit overvalued right now. Um, the margin seems, I was just doing some quick uh, calculations, so it seems to have about uh, 15% net margins uh, at least the last two years. I didn't do all the numbers, but that's that's pretty good for uh, a company that uh, sells cheaply price or low price products just like Dollarama. Um, I think it would definitely be something that would be I would entertain if the price is right. Um, they also have a business model that I feel like is kind of Amazon resistant. Uh, it's the type of thing that uh, people will usually, you know, they'll want to have the products that uh, they sell right away. They might not want to actually wait a day for Amazon. They'll just go and pick them up themselves. So that remains to be seen if it continues like that. But their sales have been increasing at about... 10, 15% per year, just uh, uh, kind of ballparking it, looking at it. Uh, and profits have been steady as well. Uh, looking at the cash flow, um, that seems pretty good as well. So their uh, free cash flow has been increasing uh, every single year with the exception of last year where it dipped a little bit. Yeah, no, I you bring up some really good points. I, I also, for the first time ever, I'm realizing that their margins are so high for <laughs> yeah. for things they sell for a dollar uh, so that's pretty impressive so management has been able to to get that supply chain down down to a t um so my my final thoughts on this would be the fundamentals are great um everything's really solid the growth the growth uh profile is looking good and it's looking ripe for a dividend growth king in the future um but i think it's a little expensive at 26 times earnings right now and three and a half times sales for a company that pumps out a lot of revenue, um, fairly expensive. Simon, final thoughts on this one? Yeah, I totally agree with that, uh, Braden. So I think for me as well, it's going to be on my watch list. And if the price is right and the numbers continue trending in terms of the business in the right direction, that's uh, at some point in the future, I could start uh, positioning them. Yeah, it was a great entry point when, I mean, a lot of stocks were a great entry point at the beginning of uh, 2019. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the market yeah. falling so 
much, but this one especially had a huge pullback. So um, if this pullback similar to this one was to occur again, yeah, it fell 42% at the end of 2018. Wow. Um, if that would happen again, I mean, this, I think the stock uh, would be a great buy. Yeah. All right. That is uh, the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find lots of resources on GetStockMarket.com and can pose questions for us to review different companies like we just did. Thank you so much for listening. The Canadian investor is not to be taken as investment advice. Braden or Simone may own securities mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment decisions. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Canadian Investor. To get a list of the top Canadian dividend stocks right now and other valuable investing resources, go to GetStockMarket.com.